The Fellowship of the Ring by J.R.R. Tolkien Chapter 7 In the House of Tom Bombadil Part 2 The upper wind settled in the west, and deeper and wetter clouds rolled up to spill their laden rain on the bare heads of the downs. Nothing could be seen all round the house but falling water. Frodo stood near the open door and watched the white, chalky path turn into a little river of milk and go bubbling away down into the valley. Tom Bombadil came trotting round the corner of the house, waving his arms as if he was warding off the rain, and indeed when he sprang over the threshold, he seemed quite dry, except for his boots. These he took off and put in the chimney corner. Then he sat in the largest chair and called the hobbits to gather round him. This is Goldberry's washing day, he said, and your awesome cleaning too wet for hobbit folk. Let them rest while they're able. That's a good day for long tales or questions or for answers, so Tom will start the talking. He then told them many remarkable stories, sometimes half as if speaking to himself, sometimes looking at them suddenly with a bright blue eye under his deep brows. Often his voice would turn to song, and he would get out of his chair and dance about. He told them tales of bees and flowers, the ways of trees, and the strange creatures of the forest, about the evil things and good things, things friendly and things unfriendly, cruel things and kind things, and secrets hidden under brambles. As they listened, they began to understand the lives of the forest apart from themselves, indeed to feel themselves as the strangers where all other things were at home. Moving constantly in and out of his talk was Old Man Willow, and Frodo learned now enough to content him. Indeed, more than enough, for it was not comfortable lore. Tom's words laid bare the hearts of trees and their thoughts, which were often dark and strange, and filled with a hatred of things that grow free upon the earth, gnawing, biting, breaking, hacking, burning, destroyers and usurpers. It was not called the Old Forest without reason, for it was indeed ancient, a survivor of vast forgotten woods, and in it there lived yet, aging no quicker than the hills, the fathers of the fathers of trees, remembering times when they were lords. The countless years had filled them with pride and rooted wisdom, and with malice, but none were more dangerous than the great willow. His heart was rotten, but his strength was green. He was cunning and a master of winds, and his song and thought ran through the woods on both sides of the river. His gray, thirsty spirit drew power out of the earth and spread like fine root threads in the ground and invisible twig fingers in the air, so it had under its dominion nearly all the trees of the forest, from the hedge to the downs. Suddenly, Tom's talk left the woods and went leaping up the young stream, over bubbling waterfalls, over pebbles and worn rocks, and among small flowers and close grass and wet crannies, wandering at last up on the downs. They heard of the great burrows and the green mounds and the stone rings upon the hills and in the hollows among the hills. Sheep were bleeding in flocks. Green walls and white walls rose. These were fortresses on the heights. 
Kings of little kingdoms fought together, and the young sun shone like fire on the red metal of their new and greedy swords. There was victory and defeat, and towers fell, fortresses were burned, and flames went up into the sky. Gold was piled on the byres of dead kings and queens, and mounds covered them, and the stone doors were shut, and the grass grew over all. Sheep walked for a while, biting the grass, but soon the hills were empty again. A shadow came out of dark places far away, and the bones were stirred in the mounds. Barrow whites walked in the hollow places with a clink of rings on cold fingers and gold chains on the wind. Stone rings grinned out of the ground like broken teeth on the moonlight. The hobbits shuddered. Even in the shire, the rumor of the barrow whites of the Barrow Downs beyond the forest had been heard, but it was not a tale that any hobbit liked to listen to, even by a comfortable fireside far away. These four now suddenly remembered what the joy of this house had driven from their minds. The house of Tom Bombadil nestled under the very shoulder of those dreaded hills. They lost the thread of his tail and shifted uneasily, looking aside at one another. When they caught his words again, they found that he had now wandered into strange regions beyond their memory and beyond their waking thought, into times when the world was wider and the seas flowed straight to the western shore. And still on and back, Tom went, singing out into ancient starlight when only the elf sires were awake. Then suddenly, he stopped, and they saw that he nodded as if he was falling asleep. The hobbit sat still before him, enchanted, and it seemed as if, under the spell of his words, the wind had gone, and the clouds had dried up, and the day had been withdrawn, and darkness had come from east and west, and all the sky was filled with the light of white stars. Whether the morning and evening of one day or of many days had passed, Frodo could not tell. He did not feel either hungry or tired only filled with wonder. Stars shone through the window, and the silence of the heavens seemed to be round him. He spoke at last of his wonder, and a sudden fear of that silence. Who, who are you, master? he asked. A what? said Tom, sitting up, and his eyes glinted in the gloom. Don't you know my name yet? That's the only answer. Tell me. Who are you alone, yourself, and nameless? But you are young and I am old. Eldest, that's what I am. Mark my words, my friends. Tom was here before the river and the trees. Tom remembers the first raindrop and the first acorn. He made paths before the big people and saw the little people arriving. He was here before the kings and the graves and the barrow whites. When the elves passed westward, Tom was here already, before the seas were bent. He knew the dark under the stars when it was fearless, before the Dark Lord came from outside. A shadow seemed to pass by the window, and the hobbits glanced hastily through the panes. When they turned again, Goldberry stood in the door behind, framed in light. She held a candle, shielding its flame from the draught with her hand, and the light flowed through it like sunlight through a white shell. 
The rain has ended, she said, and new waters are running downhill under the stars. Let us now laugh and be glad. And let us have food and drink, cried Tom. Long tails are thirsty, and long listenings, hungry work, morning, noon, and evening. With that, he jumped out of his chair, and with a bound, took a candle from the chimney shelf and lit it in the flame that Goldberry held. Then he danced about the table. Suddenly, he hopped through the door and disappeared. Quickly, he returned, bearing a large and laden tray. Then Tom and Goldberry set the table, and the hobbits sat half in wonder and half in laughter. So fair was the grace of Goldberry, and so merry and odd the caperings of Tom. Yet in some fashion they seemed to weave a single dance, neither hindering the other in and out of the room and round about the table. And with great speed, food and vessels and lights were set in order. The boards blazed with candles, white and yellow. Tom bowed to his guests. Supper is ready, said Goldberry. And now the hobbits saw that she was clothed all in silver with a white girdle, and her shoes were like fish's mail. But Tom was all in clean blue, blue as rain-washed forget-me-nots, and had green stockings. It was a supper even better than before. The hobbits, under the spell of Tom's words, may have missed one meal or many, but when the food was before them, it seemed at least a week since they had eaten. They did not sing or even speak much for a while, and paid close attention to business. But after a time, their hearts and spirits rose high again, and their voices rang out in mirth and laughter. After they had eaten, Goldberry sang many songs for them, songs that began merrily in the hills and fell softly down into silence. And in the silence they saw in their minds pools and waters wider than any they had known, and looking into them, they saw the sky below them and the stars like jewels in the depths. Then once more she wished them each good night and left them by the fireside. But Tom now seemed wide awake and plied them with questions. He appeared already to know much about them and all their families, and indeed to know much of all the history and doings of the Shire down from days hardly remembered among the hobbits themselves. It no longer surprised them, but he made no secret that he owed his recent knowledge largely to Farmer Maggot, whom he seemed to regard as a person of more importance than they had imagined. There's earth under his old feet and clay on his fingers. Wisdom in his bones and both his eyes are open, said Tom. It was also clear that Tom had dealings with the elves, and it seemed that in some fashion news had reached him from Gildor concerning the flight of Frodo. Indeed, so much did Tom know, and so cunning was his questioning, that Frodo found himself telling him more about Bilbo and his own hopes and fears than he had told before, even to Gandalf. Tom wagged his head up and down, and there was a glint in his eyes when he heard of the riders. Show me the precious ring, he said suddenly in the midst of the story. And Frodo, to his own astonishment, drew out the chain from his pocket, and unfastening the ring, handed it at once to Tom. 
that seemed to grow larger as it lay for a moment on his big brown-skinned hand. Then suddenly, he put it to his eye and laughed. For a second, the hobbits had a vision, both comical and alarming, of his bright blue eye gleaming through a circle of gold. Then Tom put the ring round the end of his little finger and held it up to the candlelight. For a moment, the hobbits noticed nothing strange about this. Then they gasped. There was no sign of Tom disappearing. Tom laughed again, and then he spun the ring in the air, and it vanished with a flash. Frodo gave a cry, and Tom leaned forward and handed it back to him with a smile. Frodo looked at it closely and rather suspiciously, like one who has lent a trinket to a juggler. It was the same ring, or looked the same and weighed the same, for the ring had always seemed to Frodo to weigh strangely heavy in the hand. But something prompted him to make sure. He was perhaps a trifle annoyed with Tom for seeming to make so light of what even Gandalf thought so perilously important. He waited for an opportunity when the talk was going again, and Tom was telling an absurd story about badgers and their queer ways when he slipped the ring on. Mary turned towards him to say something and gave a start and checked an exclamation. Frodo was delighted, in a way. It was his own ring, all right, for Mary was staring blankly at his chair and obviously could not see him. He got up and crept quietly away from the fireside towards the outer door. Hey there, cried Tom, glancing towards him with a most seeing look in his shining eyes. Hey, come Frodo there. Where be you a-going? Old Tom Bombadil's not as blind as that yet. Take off your golden ring. Your hand's more fair without it. Come back. Leave your game and sit down beside me. We must talk a while more and think about the morning. Tom must teach the right road and keep your feet from wandering. Frodo laughed, trying to feel pleased and taking off the ring, came and sat down again. Tom now told them that he reckoned the sun would shine tomorrow, and it would be a glad morning, and setting out would be helpful. But they would do well to start early, for weather in that country was a thing that even Tom could not be sure of for long, and it would change sometimes quicker than he could change his jacket. I am no weather master, he said. Nor is aught that goes on two legs. By his advice, they decided to make nearly due north from his house, over the western and lower slopes of the downs. They might hope, in that way, to strike the east road in a day's journey and to avoid the burrows. He told them not to be afraid, but to mind their own business. Keep to the green grass. Don't you go a-meddling with old stone or cold whites or crying in their houses, unless you be strong folk with hearts that never falter. He said this more than once, and he advised them to pass Burrows by on the west side, if they chanced to stray near one. Then he taught them a rhyme to sing, if they should by ill luck fall into any danger or difficulty the next day. Ho, Tom Bombadil, Tom Bombadillo, by water, wood, and hill, by the reed and willow, by fire, sun, and moon, hearken now and hear us. Come, Tom Bombadil, for our need is near us. 
When they had sung this all together after him, he clapped them each on the shoulder with a laugh, and taking candles, led them back to their bedroom. Thank you.